So uh, to continue to sort of water that uh, the soil for that sort of transformation to happen, um, today's discussion, we want to return to the five uh, anti-racism commitments that Kyle drafted for us last week. Uh, before last week's service, he and I brought together a group of some uh, brown line stakeholders who have experience in anti-racism work, and these commitments were born out of listening to and gleaning from them. Uh, commitments, uh, Kyle said this earlier this week, are, uh, I loved it, he said, commitments are not a Facebook statement to show a response to something because there's pressure to respond. Commitments are expressions of intent going forward uh, about how things are changing or need to change. And as a three quarters white community, we have to make commitments to ensure that this isn't just a flash in the pan engagement with racism or a PR move to show that we're hip to the news of the moment. Uh, these commitments are a work in progress. So Kyle's gonna review them for us in a minute and then we'll kind of go back and forth a bit to tease them out. Uh, but they will need to be refined. They'll need to, things will need to be added or changed. We'll have to humble ourselves and recognize that like one or another part is off base and, and the discomfort uh, will be a part of that process and we welcome that. Uh, today's dis uh, discussion is a part of that. And so we really value your questions and comments uh, in the chat as we discuss these. Uh, being anti-racist is a whole community commitment. And so we need to draft these together and resolve to pursue these together. Uh, our moderator today is going to be Jen Colburn, uh, and she's uh, she's dropped in um, information about the breakouts, uh, as we mentioned before. And I'm getting a little feedback there. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, Jen dropped in um, uh, mention of the breakouts earlier, and she will also be checking in on uh, on the chat, and so um, she'll be she'll be ready to to, to jump in, and and, uh, and at some point in our conversation, we'll we'll ask her to surface anything that's coming up. All right, uh, Kyle, why don't you review our five commitments, and I'll put them up on the screen for us here. Absolutely, um, yeah, I think as Vince was saying when we talked about doing these things, I think the reason why it felt so needed to come back to these this week is because um, it's important for us as a community to not just be responding to something in a moment and then moving on, uh, to be addressing something that is true and then believing we have addressed it. Uh, as uh, we talked a little bit about my group last week, uh, the, this guy Jay Smooth has this analogy for racism where he says, uh, too often in our country, we think of it like tonsils, like you either have it or you don't have it. And then when you have it removed, it's gone. Like I had my racism removed in 2008, it is now gone. Uh, whereas the real endeavor, and he talks about this in terms of just being a moral human, but certainly in the aspect of being racism is better thought to be oral hygiene. It's like brushing our teeth. It's something that we need to do with action again and daily addressing. And so it felt important for us is, is our act of, of moral hygiene um, is to make commitments that are actually requiring steps and follow through and accountability. Because the truth is, if we don't keep doing those too often, uh, we can fall into a place to believe we have crossed a threshold of addressing something and thus, you know, the tonsils are gone which is just not how this conversation and this action works. And so um, the five commitments we made was first uh, using our voice, platform, and influence to make clear where we see Jesus positioned on the side of those who suffer as a result of systemic racism, injustice, and inequality. 
Two, considering systemic racism, injustice, and inequity when activating our church resources, the time, energy, and money, when and when deciding what voices and messages from outside our church to amplify within our church. Three, educating our community on the importance of each person doing their own work in terms of race, identity, privilege, and understanding the role, their role in systemic racism, injustice, inequity, and providing resources and avenues to do that work. Four, listening to and responding to the challenges that present as a result of being a church led by two white men. And five, creating space for people to grieve, lament, confess, and rage over systemic racism, injustice, and inequity while protecting the victims among us from being re-traumatized. You know, I think what, what, what I think is helpful here is for maybe Vince and I to, to talk a little bit about kind of what these things mean to us and then open it up for everyone else here through the comments um, to ask us, like, what exactly does that mean? I think the the challenge with anything that is just words is you have the ability to communicate something without it actually meaning very much. And so we want to talk through what we actually mean when we say these things and open up for questions from anybody out there that is saying, tell me a little bit more what that actually looks like or what that means. And maybe we have an answer and maybe your question has provoked us to ask different questions. Well, Kyle, to kick us off, uh, is there a particular commitment that feels worth um, digging into a little bit more uh, and unpacking? Obviously, each of these are loaded and there are actions that are implied by them. There are, um, there are changes or course corrections from, um, I think, previous uh, realities in our church um, that, uh, that are implied in some of these. What uh, feels useful to lean into here first? You know, I'm a man of, of chronological order, so I'll dive in. Just, <laughs> I, the first one strikes me as meaningful, and I think it strikes me. Actually, they all do, and I think I'm just starting at the beginning because that's where it hits me. Um, the truth is, the only time Vince and I have ever had a substantial and um, difficult pushback uh, from people in the church was around from somebody in the church from was around the time Ferguson happened and mm -hmm. it was largely around us talking about police violence when that happened and a lot of the conversation there was essentially it's not a church's place to come out and talk about uh, politics or even um, kind of like we need to create space for uh, to us to agree to disagree um, and yeah I feel like you're not listening to both sides of the conversation um, and I think the truth is the, the both sides paradigm uh, that has found life in the post-Trump era has been incredibly destructive. And I think our uh, desire to navigate that world to say, well, you know, we're not going to equate protesters uh, with uh, what's going on, you know, the, the protesters and neo-Nazis that we saw in Charlottesville are not another side of what we're seeing right now. There's two different things in terms of the moral conversation, and it's not just an abstract moral conversation. There are two different things when we talk about what Jesus's life is looking like. And so our commitment is to say that we will not uh, walk down a path of both sides when it feels like Jesus is not walking on both sides. Uh, 
and for us to commit to saying whenever we have a chance to speak we will address what we believe jesus saying even at risk of people being um angry with us or upset with us and we'll do so humbly knowing that at times we might be wrong but our trepidation our anxiety our concern of perhaps saying the wrong thing or offending something uh, we're committing to not be an impediment to our choices in that and i wonder if any of that resonates or, or kind of speaks uh, to you as well vince it does yeah and uh i'm i'm thinking about how um i i think i realized that after <clears throat> after the protests in in ferguson in 2014 um, I think that that um, did a lot. Uh, my experience of that as as a white person who you know was his life w had been steeped with privilege, and I had not uh, known uh, firsthand by any means or secondhand any, by any means uh, systemic racism and inequity. And I think Ferguson really broke broke me to understand like, oh, I have a lot of learning to do, and I have a lot of um, of uh, of of investigation and uh, and further understanding to do to understand my role in this like I am not it the racism is not a thing that you are or aren't like you were saying with the tonsils it is oral hygiene and uh, I still have to brush my teeth every day and so um, so that was a, a really um, I think movement forward experience for me as an individual and um, and I guess what what uh, feels really striking to me um, now, um, and, and, and what feels so different uh, about the last uh, two weeks in how I'm processing this is I'm recognizing like just how much, you know, we, this, this first commitment, we, we have words like our, our influence and platform, like we are a, a church that, and, and that means that we have a voice that people take their cues from, that people are looking to help them interpret their world and what's happening and help them to find God in the midst of that. And, uh, and you and I, Kyle, in particular, as, as, as leaders of that community, I think what this did is it broke me as understanding like, we have a platform like we like this. This is not choosing neutrality is is uh, is is one thing when you're an individual, but choosing neutrality as an organization, as a platform, as a voice that is a collective and not just a one person really matters. And so uh, and so, I, you know, I actually think there's an interesting connection. Um, I kind of want to put these uh, back on for a second here just to just to show us again. There's an interesting connection between Number one, um, the our, our our voice and and where we see Jesus positioned, and number five. Sorry to take it out of chronological order, Kyle. It's just you know I'm I'm going I'm going out. Um, but uh, number five, creating space for people to grieve, lament, confess, rage over systemic racism and injustice and inequity, while protecting the victims among us from being re-traumatized. I I think this one's still a work in progress because what I think is really important to say there. What, it, what feels really different, what feels really like the next stage. It's not just our, uh, what we're saying. It, it, is, it, is how, it is how much racism is woven into the way we operate as, as a community, as a church, uh, you know, without realizing it. It's the insidious ways that um, community happens uh, from the perspective and from the outlook and from the lens of a white person because there are two white people at the top of this community. And, and those are, 
those are so they're so so subtle and we don't realize how that could make somebody feel like an outsider how that could make somebody feel uh, like they have to do translation in order to experience community here but it happens and and i think that our church is sort of well positioned to 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 humbly embrace that reality and try to cross that bridge and 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 not hide from that uh because we so often talk about this when it comes to differing religious backgrounds when it comes to those who don't have religious privilege who are you know have been cast off by other religious uh, uh communities or who have never fit well because they've never fit culturally in other religious communities. We talk all the time about how we make space for them and how we try to make community feel uh, intelligible and, and, and like an open door for them and they don't have to jump through hoops. And so, and so we're, we're versed in that kind of stuff, but we have not fully grasped how much that means to do for our black and brown brothers and sisters and how different that is for somebody like me who is white and comes from a white perspective and a white experience and a white outlook in life. And so I think that that creating space thing, what is the most important part of it is sort of the, the, the second half of it. It's like this while protecting the victims, like protecting those who are, who are the victims of racial and, and systemic injustice and inequity and, and making clear that like, your ability to feel like you don't have to translate to find community is is it a really important thing and we've not we we've not committed to that before and we want to now and uh and i, I you know like it is it, it's it's all well and good for us to talk a game of like we're we're here to try to make a space for anybody no matter their background but are we really doing that when it comes to the differences that race uh, brings into the uh, into the question I don't think so and uh, and one of the key things that can happen that I think we've seen happen a great deal in news stories that have been passed around since the murder of George Floyd is that many people of color are feeling re-traumatized by the way that largely white institutions respond uh, because there's just kind of this white outlook that's behind it. And so that is something that I think is a major, it, it's, it's that connection point between number one and number five. Like Jesus is on the side of those who are marginalized. Jesus is always like, as you positioned as last week, Kyle, like the, if you want to read the Bible or if you want to like find something from Jesus, you have like one of the best litmus tests to kind of understand is like, am I in the powerful group or the non-powerful group? Because if I'm in the powerful group, God is humbling me. If I'm in the non-powerful group, God is exalting me. And I think we have a lot of work to do along those lines when it comes to race. Yeah, I think that all of these things, I think, obviously speak to each other. Um, and I think what what this looks like is, you know, th this conversation where uh, I think Elizabeth last week said it very well um, in the sense of uh, the processing and work that people who are not intimately familiar with racism, um, uh, white people who have not uh, stepped into that process, the work of encountering it for the first time and the grief and the struggle of that is actually somewhat she was like it's actually deeply insulting because it means that what has actually been happening uh, has been so far off the radar up to this point and so creating spaces for all of us to do our work without uh 
making the victims of racism experiencing the re-traumatization of other people coming to realizations for the first time, holding intention that. And I think part of this is the challenge, as you said, of us being two white men and number four. And I think that's why this whole commitment sheet is actually, I think, a step in that direction for us, which is this was not us deciding, like, what is the best idea for us to doing? This was us sitting down and having a conversation with uh, a group of people and listening to them and saying, hey, uh, a group of non-white men and saying, what do we need right now and what does a church do? And then trying to respond to that. And I, I think for us, that's why it's so important. Uh, as long as it is you and I, Vince, that we, we cannot uh, achieve uh, a church that's not led by two white men until we get to a place where we can change that dynamic. Uh, so we have to make sure that we are listening humbly and, and actively assuming that you and I have uh, lenses that are making us miss things. And thus we must come humbly and ask other people to help us understand how to better do this church well. And I think that number five is one of those things that came out of that, is trying to make sure that we are not just assuming what do I need as a white guy, but what are we doing as a community that's addressing where what everybody is actually needing. Uh, I'll put this up on the screen uh, after I ask you, but I'm curious if you can tell us more about uh, which number was it? Number two, where we're considering um, these realities when we uh, use our church resources uh, in terms of time, uh, energy, money. Um, tell us more about like what's behind that and the actions that uh, that implies. Yeah, so there, there's two things to uh, take into consideration here. One of them is that a church has limited resources in where they spend their time, energy, and money. There's limited things that you can get people excited about and care about. There's limited things that you have money and time to do. Um, and so something that's been part of the heart of our church for a long time is to make sure that we're, we're spending those in ways that are trying to address uh, systemic injustices. Historically, we've uh, supported and, and tried to advocate with our time, energy, and money in the worlds of educational equity, uh, systemic homelessness, and then uh, welcoming, well, when, when our country still accepted them, um, trying to help refugees find their way into this country and finding a home here. And I think uh, this is something that uh, we need to make sure uh, there's a long history of churches doing volunteerism and spending money that are actually uh, about enriching the lives of people in that church, having transformative experiences for people in that church, and are much less about actually impacting the world around them, or in the effort to evangelize the world around us, are spending time and energy and message, uh, time, energy, and money in the realm of spreading the good news of Jesus uh, by word rather than and actually spreading the good news of Jesus by action. And I think what we're committing to here is when we rally people to volunteer, when we rally people uh, to time their, spend their time, energy, and money, and when we spend our money at our church, we will be asking the questions of, is this actually addressing systemic underlying issues, or are we doing this because it feels like an easy service opportunity that can help us as a church feel better? Yeah, I really appreciate um, just kind of unpacking. I do think that that is another one of the subtle things um, that um, the uh, a, 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 um, a, an Instagram uh, account that uh, my wife has been following and has been really uh, good for us uh, to um, bring into our like the the media that we're consuming is called No White Saviors. 
Um, and, uh, and, that, and that's a phrase that you know, sociologists talk about uh, that is often talked about in race discussions of white saviors. In this reality of white supremacy where the, the colonizers have always been people of white skin and European descent, uh, that we have this tendency to kind of put ourselves on top. And then to bring it back to the Bible, once again, if you're on top, the message of Jesus and the message of the Bible to you is to humble you, not to exalt you. And that is something that subtly, I think, we that churches uh, often fall into, like you're saying, uh, Kyle, where the, the acts we're doing, on the surface, they appear like wonderful, good things and like in service of other people. But if we peel back the layers a bit, uh, maybe the under, most underlying motivation, maybe unexamined motivation, certainly unexamined in a lot of uh, situations, uh, is still sort of a, um, it's really important for me to feel good about myself and feel like I am a savior. I am helping other people. And so, uh, yeah, so I appreciate you going into depth on number two. Um, number three, are, this one is about educating uh, our community and then providing avenues for our, our community to, to pursue that. Well, that's a lot of the reason that we have um, uh, leaned into these breakout experiences and we're super, super grateful for uh, the leaders who have offered uh, their uh, uh, expertise and their experience in anti-racism work and discussions uh, to kind of walk us through. And one thing that we've just sort of recognized about our community uh, is that we're sort of like we we have we enter in that discussion from a, di a few different places across the spectrum of what it means to step into being a part of anti-racism work in our country, and so to be able to provide uh, different on ramps, uh, I think is is a is something I'm super grateful that we have the leaders in this community to do. And so once again, I just want to like bring us back to probably the number one way that if, if you are feeling driven to make a difference right now, driven to, uh, to sort of follow Jesus in the midst of all of this, the number one way we can do that in the midst of global pandemic is to actually get into small group contexts where we can talk about moving forward and acting, uh, where we can talk about if, if education is what we need to talk about that and to do that in the context of others and not just be in a, in a lecture passive format, but to actually like go back and forth and discuss things and get okay with being uncomfortable and saying, things wrong and learning that way that, those are the best ways to learn and so um, so I, I just I feel like I, I feel in, it, like incredibly like we don't deserve to have uh, the level of, um, of anti-racism leadership that we do have in our church considering I think we have so much to learn and so much to change and so much to commit to going forward uh, but we do have some people who I think can be really helpful and so I'll just I'll once again kind of throw in my commercial for the breakouts after today um, we highly want you to, to consider these yeah, I think the part of educating is is also the notion that, um, you know, there are things we can do, but we just need to know what those things are. And part of the, the emotions that a lot of people f have felt up to this point is a sense of like, what do I even do about this? How, like, how do I address these? And actually this moment, almost more than ever, we have more tangible things we can do to impact systemic racism. Uh, whether it's an election coming up this November, or it is protests right now that we can actively support, whether it is calling uh, our mayor, whether it is uh, giving money to organizations that are addressing systemic racism. Uh, there's, there's actually tons of things that we can actually do right now. And I think part of the education process, you know, I do think that there are a lot, there's a lot of people that we, we want, we need to understand this better. 
that especially if we've grown up unfamiliar with it that we have a sense of like we're not we're not aware enough of the realities and then i think there's a lot of us that that are aware of the realities that need to learn more but we're probably in the place where we what we need to be learning more about is not necessarily information but action is what we need to learn what we can actually be doing about this and doing so in a place like this church where we can do it humbly uh, receive each other well, do it safely, as and creating different spaces for people to have that conversation, make mistakes, so that we can actually go in the world and be agents uh, of Jesus in the way that he actively uh, brought about challenge and change in his time, and we believe today is doing the same. So uh, one question I have just kind of uh, from that, Kyle, and I think I'm going to throw this to everybody in the community, and if you, uh, as uh, between now and, uh, and and middle of this week, uh, I think we want to respond to this uh, in our in our podcast this week is, do you think these commitments need to be more action oriented? You know, they're kind of like abstract and and uh, and they're they're I think we're trying to pack a lot into them. But I, I appreciate that call of like, I, I think in many ways, like there is no such thing as becoming perfectly educated and then you act like the work of anti-racism is, you know, get off your butt and get uncomfortable uh, for white people. And so um so I think uh, I'll just I'll just pose that in, in in different ways. Do you think that these need to be action oriented? Do you have recommendations for how these can be action oriented? You can drop them in the chat here, and Jen will make sure that those get to us. Or you can email us uh, later this week, brownlinechurch at gmail .com. We want to hear your recommendations for making these more action oriented. Uh, Jen, just to kind of uh, bring us to uh, a final uh, thoughts uh, here. Is there any uh, questions or themes from the chat that uh, you think should kind of float our way? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the uh, theme of being the white savior and the uh, things just serving us to feel good about ourselves, like, wow, I really learned a lot today from that TED Talk, uh, you know, <laughs> um, and now I'm, I'm good. Um, also, this feeling that we've like arrived at wokeness and it not being a constant sort of um, process um, of being uh, constantly challenged and uh, constantly learning, right? And a, it's a conversation, it's not an arrival point. Uh, and uh, I think, yeah, we're just looking for that. What is that concrete, what is that action? Um, you know, and I'm wondering, I'm like, is it, is it seeking out an organization here in the city that's been doing this work for a long time, you know, that, that we're, and they'll be like, welcome, we've been doing this, <laughs> you know, we've been here, um, and recognizing the people that have been doing the work already, um, and acknowledging that, and that we're like, probably later to the game than we should be, right? Um, so yeah, that's what I got. I love that. And I think that in particular, this, um, if we are to be, um, if uh, I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of like where, um, how faith communities um, ca uh, are positioned in the midst of this. And certainly in the discussions of many of uh, uh, a, a, a classic sort of uh, white savior move of taking Dr. King out of context, uh, which has happened a great deal as Dr. King was such a such uh, such a figure that uh, found his grounding in Jesus and what uh, and what he pursued when it came to civil rights and breaking down racial injustice. 
And, uh, and I think that one key one that we can model uh, in the spirit of that is, is to, to take that view of, oh, no, there, there is no arrival, like you're saying here, Jen, uh, that's, that's coming in the, in, in the chat. One of the most important things that I, I think uh, a, a, a three-quarter white community can do if we want to be a part of anti-racism is to show that we don't think we're arrived, we're not pretending that we're arrived, we're not pretending that we can teach anyone, we're here to listen, and we're here to get in line uh, in ways that we can be helpful. Um, yeah, I just think that that is... That's that's super important, and it cuts against uh, this thing that we've already been talking about of uh, of uh, positioning ourselves as as the ones uh, in, in the right or the ones with the power. You know, when I wrestle with all these things, I think the truth is that we are experiencing a deep discomfort in so many ways uh, across uh, across our country, a deep, uh, in so many different places. And we feel uncertain on how to navigate all of those emotions because we live in a country that has told us comfort is uh, our, our highest value. Mm. And, the, and the truth is the, the discomfort uh, of a white person that is still uh, trying to understand this conversation, the discomfort of somebody who's already understanding the conversation but trying to figure out how to act, the deep discomfort of uh, many people of color looking to the world newly arriving on a block that they've lived on for centuries is something that I think positions us to hear Jesus. And I think it's because Jesus lives in the place of discomfort because the, the message of what he is doing in this world is not one to make us feel like life is easy or to feel like life is comfortable, but one to bring about justice and mercy and truth. And I think all of those things, justice does not come without discomfort. Mercy does not come without discomfort and truth does not come without discomfort. And that I think maybe for many of us as Americans, the greatest challenge we can step into right now is recognizing that the discomfort we are feeling is not something to run from, but in fact, it is the, the thing that can propel us to actually experience lives that are richer and fuller, not easier, more comfortable, but deeper and more meaningful. And I think that that for us is what we wanna be about as a church. And that's what we, as a people, I think all of us on our deepest level are actually looking for, lives that feel worth what they're living. And I think that's the opportunity of the discomfort of this moment is for us to ask those questions and not let ourselves go back and flee to pursue comfort again. Very good. Well, uh, there's lots more to be said on this. And as we're as we're forecasting here, this is an ongoing conversation. So uh, we'll mention again, we want to hear uh, your feedback. We want that to guide uh, uh, our church as we as we engage this, as we live up to these commitments, as we refine them and course correct them as we go, uh, that they can become a, a really key part uh, of the way that we do things here. Uh, and so, uh, so we encourage you to do that. At this point, uh, we're going to bring the discussion to a close. And uh, I'll ask Rebecca Janvrin um, if she might come on and pray for us to help us to take all of this from the, the realm of thoughts and let it kind of sink into us. So Rebecca, would you pray for us? Hi, everybody. And um, yeah, I, I wanted to, I have sort of two different thoughts in all of this that I wanted to ask for. Um, so just hi, Jesus, hope you're listening in. Um, <laughs> uh, I, for specifically for white people who are trying to do some, some good, important, vital, discomfortable work. Um, I want you to unite us in that. 
I want you to strengthen our convictions. Um, I want you to invite us into the uncomfortable places. And I want you to reach out your hand and say, look, it's okay, I'm here in this place, asking you to come in here. And that maybe with Jesus's presence, those conversations and choices get a little bit easier. Not that we make the easy choice to leave that place of discomfort very quickly, but that Jesus being there says, look, there's a black cause we can donate to. Look, here's a language change that you can just easily update in your daily life. Look, here's a situation where you can speak up and use your privilege, or look, here's a situation where you can step back and let other people lead. Um, showing us in your wisdom the places where those things happen and so that we can make the right choices to make these changes and, you know, moral hygiene, brushing our teeth um, every day, every day. Uh, hold our discomfort and help us move through it with humility and seeking betterment for ourselves, for our people of color, sisters and brothers of color, um, for everyone around us, for our world. Um, and then I want to pray also for people of color that God would just hold any and all of the emotions that you're having in all of this. Um, it's, it might be anger or grief or numbness or rage. This issue, these, these thoughts and anger, these, these emotions, everything that wouldn't wait for the end of COVID because it's been waiting for so long through so many other things. And I just pray God of justice that you would hold people who are hurting in their hurt and let them know that you are there and that you care and that you love them and that you and everyone who believes in you is working for change. We're all working for change. We're in this together. And I hope that you not only see God moving in the world, but that you see it in people that you hope act on your behalf. Amen. <laughs>